Please turn with me in your Bibles or follow along behind me. Mark chapter 5. A lengthy chapter, but still, if you're able, please stand with me as we turn to God's Word. Mark 5, where we read of the Gerasene demoniac and of Jesus' miracles and healing. This is the Word of the Lord. It is eternally true. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened." Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body 
that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. (laughs) But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's discuss demons for a minute. Maybe you weren't expecting that on Christmas Eve. But demons are real. They're not a joke. Don't ever watch entertainment about demons and demon possession. It's foolish to do so. They might possibly show you a glimpse of how terrifying they are, but really, entertainment doesn't do it any justice. Pastor Jim Streetlmeyer died a couple years ago. He was a pastor in inner city Indianapolis, and he related to us a story when he was among at least one or two men who were clearly demon-possessed, and it was terrifying. It's not romanticized. It's not entertaining. It's no joke. Now, having said that, when I mention to you the word demon, a picture comes to mind. Certain attributes come to mind. Are they pleasant? No, not at all. If you met a demon, if you were sure that you met a demon or someone demon-possessed, you would be very afraid. And that's perfectly appropriate because they're terrifying. They remind you that there is very real evil in this world. And the demons report to their father, the devil, who's even more terrifying. So, Lord forbid you were to meet a demon or someone demon-possessed and you were scared, as you should be, because you know that there is real power there. Remember, this whole world that the Lord has made, it's about power and authority. Those who have power and those who don't. So that's the sobering part 
as we read, it's true that this demon had power, this legion of demons, in fact, had power and authority over this man. But guess what? As we read, the demon did not have complete power and authority. The good part is that Jesus had absolute and perfect authority. It didn't matter if it was one demon or a legion. Jesus had the power. And remember that this Advent season, the rest of this year, all of your days, Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, was sacrificed as Mr. Solomon, and the family reminded us he was resurrected and went back to heaven with power and authority. Christ came as a baby. Yes, we remember that during Advent season, but we tend to sentimentalize it. Jesus did not remain a baby. He came so that he would redeem a people, a remnant, the church, out of the hands of the devil. As we sang about this morning, the light of light. There are other songs we sing this season. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. The light of light descended. You guys know the lyric. The light of light descended so that the powers of hell may vanish. That's what we want. We want the powers of hell to vanish. This analogy of light and dark runs throughout our Father's world. Most kiddos are not afraid of the daytime. Most kids are afraid of the dark. Some of the most terrifying creatures are nocturnal. When you flip on a light, all the cockroaches scatter. Cockroaches are creepy. And what's a Christmas Eve sermon in the 21st century without a good Lord of the Rings reference? It's campy, it's a little inappropriate, but sue me. There are many times when Gandalf shows up and he is shining a bright light in the enemy forces. And it terrifies them. It it drives them back. Your sins, your little pet sins that you have convinced yourself nobody else knows about, your sins love anonymity. They want to be anonymous. Our sins want to be shrouded in darkness. And when we're foolish, we want our sins to remain hidden. A wise man, a wise Christian woman or child want their sins to be exposed. They want the light of the gospel to shine on them. So they'll vanish. As you grow in the grace of the Lord and as you look forward to heaven, you want your sins to vanish. And even to expose the sins in our culture around us. Because just as Jesus speaks with authority to this legion of demons, and the demon flees as Jesus commands, the same should happen with our sins. Jesus commands that your sins be exposed and come under his authority so that we see him disappear. I mentioned before about the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew also records about this event. And he records that there were two demon-possessed men. So do we conclude that the Bible contradicts itself and isn't trustworthy? Well, foolish sodomite college professors would conclude that, maybe. But it's no thing. Mark does not stress that there was absolutely only one man, and then there were certainly not two. Perhaps one of these two men was noteworthy and much worse off than the other demon-possessed man. He was, in fact, full of a legion of demons. So don't be fooled by heathen pagans who are overly educated. What a word, education. Don't be fooled by people who are drowning in personal sin, who want you to doubt God's word. You trust God and trust his word. It is the great anvil of time. Satan would love it if you went the route of doubting God and his word. Satan loves it when we doubt. He's played that trick from the beginning. Did God really say? Did God really say to not fill in the blank with this sin and temptation? Did God really say you should treat your brothers and sisters with all holiness and honor? We're tempted, friends, to follow our passions and desires when we get on that track. It's what we listen to in our music, what we watch on TV, the movies we watch. Sin has a way of creeping in. This demon-possessed man... He probably was not known overnight like that as a terrifying demon-possessed man. He probably put himself on a trajectory until he was consumed. You probably heard this quote before. I probably said it here. Alexander Pope. Vice is a monster of so frightful mean expression, demeanor. As to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. This is so often how temptation and sin come to rule an individual. Vice and sin, if we become too familiar, we first endure and then pity and then fully embrace. And so my goal in preaching to you is not for you to afterward come up and thank me. That's not my goal. Beware when all men speak well of you. My goal in preaching is to apply God's word to your life and to mine. You young men and women should walk away sobered by this passage. Saying, wow, I see how sin creeps up. I confess how I have been worldly. I confess how I've been following my emotions and passions. Loving the world. Despising the good authorities God has put in my life. In God's wisdom, He's placed authority over me. 
I've despised it, and I repent of that. We should walk away saying, I need to stop following the world that wants to destroy my soul. My mom and dad, I need to apologize to them. Not only apologize with my words, but with my life. I need to show them honor. Dads and moms here are just simply trying to spare you from the sins and failures we've had in our past. We want to spare you. Take the advice or reject it. You men, follow Mr. Patrick's recent example. He's one of our two elders and he got up here during our time of thanksgiving (laughs) and he praised his wife and he apologized and asked for prayer since he's so often like Nabal to his Abigail. That was Mr. Patrick speaking and living by faith, shining the light of the gospel into his and our lives. His wife and kids know the details. We don't need to know the details because we already know. Because we see him in our own lives. Mr. Patrick lived by faith when he said that, so that the powers of hell may vanish in his heart and life. Men follow his good example. And you dear women, well, you're all Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. I've already gone too far just by mentioning that women have sins. I found that it often seems more difficult for the women to confess sins with one another, maybe. I'm not there. But perhaps that's because you're relatively more righteous than the men, but I'm not so sure. Perhaps men are often more public, and so their sins are more public. Women are often more private. Sins are more private. But God gives us His Word, especially in the New Testament. If men are commanded to love their wives and not exasperate their children, that's because we're tempted to do the opposite. Men are tempted to not love their wife and to exasperate their children. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy as he's seeking to set up churches, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. My point in reading this is that God's word can be trusted. See, when you read God's Word, what parts of you chafe against it. And then apply it to your life. Mark 5, what can I learn, what can we learn, when we read about this man possessed by a legion of demons? Look at the poor condition of this man. He was possessed 
and raging. There's no peace with the devil. He was among the tombs. He was among dead people. Alone. Which is a terrible place to be spiritually. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Don't separate yourself. Don't go off. If you seek wisdom and understanding, you'll get it. But you need to seek it from others who are wiser and have more understanding than you do. That's why God has given us the body of Christ. Or you can be a fool, go off by yourself, but it won't turn out well. This man we read about was in torment. And that's how it is for anyone who's ruled by the devil. They're in misery, absolute misery. Men in this kind of frenzy often injure themselves. They don't have respect for the temple, the body God has given them. Remember the worshipers of Baal. They're crying out, they're cutting themselves. The Lord calls us to not harm the body He's given us. Satan would have it that we destroy ourselves. Many ways we can do that. But how does this man react to Jesus? What does it say? Remember, this man was in a rage against other men. Not with Jesus. This man fears and worships his Lord. And then Jesus commands the evil spirits because Jesus had authority to do so. Don't ever say in your life that you don't have power to overcome sin or believe that you absolutely will be overcome by a certain temptation. In your own power, sure, you don't have power. But that's simply thinking like the rest of the world. I satisfied my flesh last time. I'm going to again. Listen, this demon-possessed man was powerful. He was scary. But remember, Jesus had complete authority over him. Perfect authority. Your sins and temptations submitted to the power of Jesus Christ, they are no thing for the Lord. You must believe that. It's true. Jesus asked the demon's name. The response is legion, for we are many. Legion was a military term. Many soldiers. And spiritual warfare is just that. It's war. You'll lose spiritual warfare if you don't remember that you're fighting in the power of the Spirit. If you're untrained and unprepared to fight. In this fight... None of us can fight a legion, an army, not in our own power, but everything in the power of our God. It says the demons then entered swine, which is appropriate because pigs are disgusting. It says they wallow in mire, which is mud probably mixed up with their own feces. Now, it's graphic for me to describe, but that's what living sensually is like. The saying goes, put lipstick on a pig, and it's still a pig. No matter how attractive your temptations look to you, 
see them from a different vantage point. Andrew Claven wrote a wrote some fiction. If you saw the world spiritually, you know, people walking around, but those who are just living for the world, no faith in the Lord. And if you saw demons like sucking life out of them, it's graphic. Unclean spirits belong to unclean creatures doing wicked and unclean things. Clean and pure souls are temples, on the other hand, of the Holy Spirit, doing pure and holy things to honor the Lord. The demons are commanded out of this man. And what does Mark tell the man? He's sitting in his right mind. Mark and Luke, in particular, have these clever phrases Go home to your people, Jesus says. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus, the Lord, had done for him. And everyone was amazed. If you are afraid of demons, and you should be, never forget that Jesus Christ has ultimate power and authority. You belong to him. You are full of His Holy Spirit. You belong to the Lord. There's no room for demons in a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. You'll be tempted to sin on this side of glory, yes. But you are God's child, and you don't need to be afraid. Trust Him. And now we turn to more miracles and healing. We read of this woman who had suffered a hemorrhage for 12 years. Blood was leaving her body. That's what a hemorrhage is. Blood bursting from her for a long time. And now I know some of you here have suffered from a physical malady, from some issue for a long time. Some were born with physical trouble. Serious. That will last your whole life. Either way, we are an impatient culture. We want instant gratification. In our prayers, we often come to the Lord as if He's some kind of vending machine. I appreciate Pastor McNeely often leads us in the reading guides. It's a good model A-C-T-S when we pray. It's not just supplication and requests. So many times, my kids, maybe because I've demonstrated to them, it's just asking things. That's okay, we can ask. But often, we come to the Lord demanding, I have been plagued with this for far too long. I know what I need better than you do, Lord. So take this away from me. Or else, the Lord is the Lord. And He gives us what He does. Even afflictions come from His hand. (laughs) We don't like it that way. We don't like it that way. I didn't like finding out about my son's condition. And I don't mean it tritely. He has been one of the biggest blessings to me and to many. 
Remember, the Lord's ways are not our ways, thankfully, if I were dictator for a day. If every time we prayed and asked or demanded something from the Lord and He gave it to you, you would not be better off. Or if your parents always said yes to you and never said no, would you be better off? (laughs) Getting some helpful, encouraging smiles out there. No, we would have all destroyed ourselves a long time ago if we only heard yes. This woman that we read about, she had lost blood for 12 years. Thousands of days. Losing blood is exhausting. She was probably tired all the time. And she knew who could heal her if he was willing. The Lord healed her, the text says, because of her. He makes it clear it wasn't her superstition. It wasn't going to the doctors. She had spent a lot of money doing that. Her faith in the Lord had healed her. True healing comes by the Lord Christ. Jesus knew what had happened, so he asked, Who touched my garments? The woman was fearful and trembling. And then she humbly fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Friends, you will be blessed if you simply humble yourself, tell the truth, fall down before the Lord. He is the great physician who brings true healing. I know it's on his time, and that's frustrating to us. We read how demons were no match for Jesus. A seemingly incurable disease was no match for Jesus. And finally, here at the end, we read how even death itself is no thing for Jesus. The daughter of the synagogue official died. This wasn't the only time that Jesus tarried. He stayed to do some other work. And if he had only hurried, maybe they would have stayed alive. But, in his wisdom, Jesus didn't rush straight to this synagogue official's daughter. She died, and death is once for all. King David knew this. We read in 2 Samuel, When David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead, his child. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and David ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you arose and ate food? He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son. You know which son comes after? And he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. That's at least an understandable response at the death of your child. It's awful. 
And yet with Jesus, the extraordinary happens. Everyone here truly is a miracle. It's a miraculous thing that you're all here today. I was born by C-section. Heart problems run in my family and my big little sis. They found out right at the end that she had heart problems. She was born by C-section, emergency. In 84, they didn't have technology to detect that kind of heart problem in the womb. So after that, my mom didn't want to have anything but a C-section. And it's a miracle. The fact that a child can be brought into the world like that, and mom and child are both still alive. There are many miracles here. We have four sets of twins here, all healthy. It's amazing. And yet, this congregation has lost children. Many more than we probably all even realize. We can talk good about Pastor and Mrs. Bailey. I was crying when I was writing this. So if I don't now, I already got the tears out. They're not here to blush, so we can speak well of them while they're away. We've walked with them, Pastor and Mrs. Bailey, as they have buried their children here in Cincinnati. And God bless them. At so many points, with Margaret, with Jordan, they could have said, forget this. This work isn't worth it. We try to live by faith. We try to do the Lord's work. We embrace children into our family. For what? To bury a child who had been taken away from us. They could have given up. But no, that was not their response. Sure, there are seasons of doubt that come and go. But the Baileys continue to shepherd us. That's why some or all of us are here. As the Lord builds His church. Therefore, caring for our souls. We see the commitment. The work the Lord is doing here. And that's why, Lord forbid, those who don't know, if Jess and I go at the same time, our kids are going to the Baileys. It's written into our will. Now you know. Pray that doesn't happen. We're all part of this small family, the body of Christ. And as time passes, we will see more go into the grave. But we'll just continue to pray that we become godly, healthy, great-great-grandpas and great-great-grandmas. As the family and body of Christ, we worship together, we study God's Word together, we cry and mourn together, and we celebrate and we feast together. It's a sweet detail, this final phrase. Jesus says that something be given her to eat. The Lord is concerned about us spiritually and physically. He knows all our wants and needs. 
the Lord nourishes us. So, let's pray together, and let's welcome a couple young ones who have professed faith in the Lord. Let's welcome them officially to the Lord's Supper, and let's celebrate together. Early Merry Christmas.